streaming live. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Welcome today to Bible study with Rick Bonson Ministries and I'm Gene Thomas and we're going to take some time today to spend with 2 Timothy, the third chapter, as we continue on in our journey through the book of 2 Timothy, the pastoral epistle, the letter from Paul to Timothy. We'll talk about that today in perspective of the third chapter, so if you've got your Bible with you, you might want to open to that third chapter as we begin to read the text this morning. Chapter 3, Living Bible, 2 Timothy. You may as well know this too, Timothy, that in the last days it's going to be very difficult to be a Christian. People will love only themselves and their money and they'll be proud and boastful, sneering at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them and thoroughly bad. They'll be hard-hearted and never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers and will think nothing of immorality. They may be rough and cruel and sneer at those who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride preferring good times to worshiping God. They'll go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. They'll be taken in by people like that. They're the kind who craftily sneak into other people's homes and make friendships with silly, sin-burdened women and teach them their new doctrines. Women of that kind are forever following new teachings, but they never understand the truth. And these teachers fight the truth just as Janus and Jambres fought against Moses. They have dirty minds, warped and twisted, and turned against Christian faith. They won't get away with all this forever. Someday their deceits will be well known to everyone, as well as the sin of Janice and Chambris. But you know from watching me that I'm not that kind of person. You know what I believe and the way I live and what I want. You know my faith in Christ and how I've suffered. You know my love for you and my patience. You know how many troubles I've had as a result of my preaching the good news. You know about all that was done to me while I was visiting in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord delivered me. Yes, and those who decide to please Jesus Christ will live godly lives. They'll suffer at the hands of those who hate me. In fact, evil men and false teachers will become worse and worse, deceiving many. They themselves having been deceived by Satan. 
but you keep on believing the things you've been taught. You know they are true, but you know that you can trust those of us who've taught you. You know how when you were a small child you were taught the Holy Scriptures, and that these that make you wise accept God's salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ? The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration of God, and it's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, to straighten us out and help us do what's right. It's God's way of making us well-prepared at every point. Fully equipped to do good to everyone. Now, there is a reading of the lesson for today. We began reading at the third chapter and have completed that reading. And now what we would like to do is to begin our lessons together this morning a little bit. I'm delighted to have the opportunity to sit down here and talk with you all about this wonderful Word of God. Just give it some consideration in our lives to come together and to love Jesus. I'm here in a hotel in Virginia. My house is getting worked on a little bit. And, and so anything can happen. You never know who's going to come through that door and uh, or what kind of sounds you'll hear in the background. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited enough to be with you this morning. So I got my coffee here. Hope you have something for you. Also with the coffee, I've got a little bit of a cold, symptoms of a cold coughing and so forth. If you hear me uh, cough, or you'll, you'll know I, I, I've told you about it, and, and you're not close enough to get infected by it, I don't think so. <laughs> so we're far enough apart. <clears throat> but uh, here, here we go. This Second Timothy, uh, one of the ways I happen to study is the use of art. Art's important to me. Art is a human kind of a way of capturing things uh, better than spoken words sometimes. You've heard the old saying, one picture is worth a thousand words. Well, that's, that's true. If you ever get a chance to go to Turkey and go to Constantinople, or what was Constantinople, now Istanbul, uh, you go, the center of town is a old, old church named Sophia. And Sophia was taken over by the Muslims <coughs> sometime around six, seven hundred. I've forgotten exactly the date on that, but um, the, the Muslims turned their art different from Christian art. Christian art depicts people sometimes and things and places, but the Arabs turned to the Old Testament and pick up that text and, and that, that, that tells us that we're not to make any graven images. And they associate uh, art with that. So what they have done, what they do is they make beautiful tiles, different colors. And so interior of Sophia was tiled over by the Muslims. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, you can go there today and see some of that. But they tiled over some pictures that they're just now recovering from the early Christian area of 
of a five, around 500 or so. And one of the things that they show you is images and pictures drawn up on the ceilings and so forth. And these early Christians in this art have the most powerful eyes. Their eyes are much larger than, than almost the rest of their face. They are abnormally large and peering. So that from these works of art of these people, early Christians, in their robes, you see these people with these beautiful eyes looking back at you from the early days of the church. It's a wonderful vision that they had to see God and Christ through art. So uh, from this text this morning, Paul and Timothy, if you will put Paul and Timothy in your Google search engine, and hit on it, you'll get, of course, a lot of stuff related to Paul and Timothy. But if you look up there and then hit the images, it'll give you the images of Paul and Timothy, which have been produced. So you can gaze at human concepts of what Paul and Timothy really looked like. And it's a wonderful thing to have because they did have a relationship. And I picked out my favorite picture of art of Paul and Silas, and it's of two men walking with their heads down into a, a, a rushing wind. Paul is depicted as having a brown, old, dirty cloak on. He looks like he's about 70 years old, just riding, walking. And beside him is a young man who looks like he's probably about maybe 25 or younger. He's in a white, flimsy robe with his head down, and these two men are walking side by side into a hard, blustery, blowing wind. You can see the hair on their heads going back, and you can see the beards being blown back, but they're not looking at one another. They're looking ahead, looking side by side, walking into that wind of the future. Oh, it's just a chilling thing to look at. So if you pull that up, I'm sure you'll see it there. You'll see the other images as well. And I want you to pick your favorite. Now, because of this, as we enter into this third chapter, we're going to be talking about two things that are important that Paul passes on. One is the perversions of the early church. He talks about that. And then from about the 10th chapter on, he gives a prescription for how to handle those things. So he's given Paul a kind of overview of what's tough about the Christian faith. Church work is hard. Times of challenge and difficulty come. And there's going to be a wind blowing on you from, 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 from hell. And it's a challenge to work in the church. And so Art's got the picture that's very clear. You'll be walking with a few friends into the right into the wind. It's very difficult. Times of challenge and difficulty will come, he says in verse 1. And there will be many people who will be avaricious. They have one interest, and that's themselves and, and money. He says in the second verse that there will be people who will be pretending to be Christians, to be proud. But on the other hand, they'll be impious and abusive. Uh, there'll be children who do not obey their parents. Uh, they'll be ungrateful for what 
their fellowship given to them, and wicked threw to their ponies. And they says that in the <coughs> second chapter, I mean, second verse there. If you want to see some impious people, uh, I'd say sometimes you might want to go to church to find them, because they're there. I mean, uh, they just show up. People who are, are proud and impious just show up. And there are some abusive people in church. And we work on that all the time, trying to find out what could make a person abusive. So we go work in the church, but be, on the other hand, abusive in it. I had a, 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 an occasion one time where I had a, a Sunday school teacher who came to church with a board about oh, about that about that about this long, about three feet long board, little paddle she called it, and written on it was board of correction. I thought I could see the uh, puns in that, but at the same time, my God, I didn't want that woman threatening children in the Bible school with a board, you know. So I tried to convince her that she shouldn't. And that's when I found out what true church work really was, what a difficult challenge it was, what it was like to walk into the wind with the wind blowing on you so hard you couldn't get out of the way because she had family, you know, and stuff, and they had a history of that. So, I, I mean, all I'm suggesting is that sometimes you go into church work naive, thinking it's going to be easy, thinking it's going to be something that where, where everybody's affectionate and kind and, and loving, and that just isn't so. Just isn't so. Well, moving along, if we look now, let's look at the, the fifth verse there. But when we top off that, that fourth verse, about uh, let's go back to the third a minute here. They, they, they have no natural affection, it says in, in that third verse, which means that they're unsociable. They're not sociable. Have you ever been to a church that wasn't sociable? I mean, the, most of them are kind of put out the welcoming mat now, but we had to learn how to do that. I mean, a few years ago, church wasn't the most welcoming place in the world to go. And uh, they would sit there and eat, eat and didn't even care what your name was. You know, I I remember one night going to a, a church function. I think it was a, a one, one of these uh, uh, Lenten programs. Uh, it was supposed to be a pancake summit. It was a church with like 600 people in it. And I went there and ate my pancakes and nobody said a word to me. Nobody said, who are you? Where you come from? What, what? You see, that just is weird, man. Weird. So a very unsociable crowd sometimes can take over a church and don't agree, agree about anything. That That's also a part of being implacable. Uh, they're, they're, what it means by truce breakers is that you can't get them to, to agree on anything. I, I wanted to paint a church interior one time, and so I had two families fighting over it. One wanted it pink, and one wanted it blue. You know, that, that's just one family said, this church is going to be painted blue on the inside. The other family said, no, mm, 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 we're going to have a, a light-colored pink 
make us happy and feel good around here. So they were fighting and fighting. And so I finally just gave up and went on vacation. But when I came back, they had, you know what they did? They compromised and put the two together and painted the interior of that church of silver, sitting and looking lavender. It looked like the inside of a restroom you'd see on, on an interstate somewhere. And I just I laughed to myself and said, that, that, that's the value of a compromise sometimes. What a mess. Well, this because they couldn't agree, see? Couldn't agree on anything. So they put them all together and shoved it in there and painted it. Well, looking on at the, at the fifth verse, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. That's a famous scripture that uh, we, we quote a lot. Uh, morphia means form. It, it forms itself out as a kind of a, 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 a godly place, but the truth is they deny the power of the God they serve. Are there not some, however, who want the power of godliness but deny the form of it? That's true, too. That's like you got most churches today has two elements in it. They always push the, the happy clappers to the 830 period. And those folks, those are wonderful folks. Who get, and then at 11 o'clock, they, they get themselves together there with, with, with the, the, the crowd that likes the form, but not the power. So the earlier crowd wants the power, but not the form. The later crowd wants the form and not the power. So it's a, a, a mess for a preacher to be able to walk that delicate dance between that one crowd that is more interested in the power than the form to change habit and jump into 11 o'clock where they want, would prefer to have, you see, because of their background and all, the form rather than the power. So it's a mess. It's hard to control, hard to be a part of. And, but it's true. Truth is, it's going to see it. So not only is it difficult to run in that church, but it's perplexing. It can, it can pull you down. It can make you, instead of worshiping uh, uh, the beauty of holiness, you begin to worship the holiness of beauty. You find how that slips back. You see what I mean? If you say, the, the Bible most time wants you to worship the beauty of holiness. But the church would rather worship the holiness of beauty. Anything they can figure out to make it look pretty. Oh, if we could just have this looking pretty, you know, but everything will be all right. That's not the case. And by the way, I'm, that's an old Earl Tyson fellow that I knew as a Methodist evangelist. He, he said uh, that we sometimes would wor rather worship the the, 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 the beauty of holiness. We don't want to worship that. We want the holiness of beauty. So <clears throat> there are some, however, who, who deny the power. And this leads many to, uh, as it says in the sixth verse there, captivating physicality of spiritualness. Uh, they'll take the altar and try to make it beautiful, which is nothing wrong with that. It's nothing wrong with the artistic endeavor of a worship art to make a, a altar as beautiful as you can, but sometimes they overdo it. And it looks like somebody opened up a Goodwill store right in the front of the church. You know what I'm saying? They got all these animals and stuffed animals and all kinds of idolatrous looking stuff, calling it Christian worship art. Well, 
person works art very lean, very, very uh, uh, plain in the sense that they have a job to do and a function to do, and that while they will utilize art to make it expressive, they don't go to sleep on that. See, don't go to sleep on it. Well, that's what it's called physical spiritualness. Verse 7, ever learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They, they slip a, 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 in here a, a, a kind of a kick against women. And you ask yourself, what in the world is all this about women being awful? Well, you see, you're looking at a time in history where women were second-class citizens of everything. They didn't get to go to the church with the men. They had a separate women's place. Uh, and that persisted down through the ages. I mean, we're just now coming to some grip of that, and we're not finished with it yet, I don't think, as a people. But that was a mess. You see, whoever wrote this thing, and we, we believe it was Paul, but it don't sound like it. Because Paul had too good a relationship with too many Christian women. I mean, he did, this is a preacher who had eaten way too much fried chicken to be talking like this because women just were necessary and vital to the ministry of Jesus. And here he got this off-handed sort of highfalutin kind of approach to these, all oh, these women, you know, to get in. Well, see, they've, they've, they've gone and fallen back, I think, to some of their older ways about that. So it's all right to be critical when you hit it. You know, be critical when you hit critical text. Run up against it sometimes. Because uh, they mentioned this Janice and Chambrese. They say uh, some will uh, protest against the gospel as Janice and Chambrese. You, you know, you got to figure out who they are. It's tough because their names aren't in the Bible we have. They're in the Jewish Bible, the Torah, and all that stuff. They're, they're in there, but they're not out here. In, they're in the Midrash and so forth, but not in our Bible except right here. So you, how, who are they? Who are they? Well, you got to go back to the Old Testament. you got to go to Exodus when Moses and Aaron were coming out and bringing the children. They got up in Pharaoh's face, if you remember, and threw that, that, that rod down on the ground and and it turned into a snake. Remember that? Uh, Janice and Jambres were the two Egyptian magicians who were able to do the same thing. You remember they, they threw down their stick and that turned into a snake too. And then Moses' snake turned around and ate up Janice and Jambres' snake. And that, that those two figures became famous if for idolatry in studying the Jewish Bible and the Jewish, Jewish, even Jewish Christians, which seems to be a, a, a part of the background of this, seeing as how these two individuals are named and known so well as examples of idolatry. They're found in the minor prophets for them. That, that, but the folly of opposing Moses with their serpents was exposed, and they have a serpent ate them up. So what you got here is the, that kind of resistance that is trying to duplicate 
the works of God with this, this idea that you can accomplish that task and be successful at it. Though they couldn't, but they tried. Well, you have this wonderful text here that all scripture is profitable. <coughs> all of it for doctrine, for uh, correction, instruction in holiness. So good for that this text as you as this, this biblical description for how it is that Timothy is to proceed now is to call up and remember the scripture that he was taught as a young man. You remember Lois and Eunice and his grandma and his mama had taught him these things that the man of God may finally find perfection set furnished for good works for my for my faith perfection is perfect love it's at the end of any good theology you'll find perfect love the church is a strange institution basically it's a philanthropic institution it begins to adopt as we read here and in the future as a Christological image of Jesus beginning to form. Uh, pastoral caregiver wandering the hills of Galilee with a philanthropic sort of approach to the world and the things in it uh, to relieve it, to improve it, to give it care give it social reform. You see how I'm drifting away farther and farther from the fact that this ain't Jesus. I, I, I don't sound you know, like Harry Emerson Fosdick or somebody who's a, into social reform. It sounds like Eugene Debs. It sounds like uh, I don't know who, but it just has a weird ring about it to make that progression down that institutional road is like having wind blowing in your face. Man, you and Timothy, if you consider yourself a teacher, are going to have a hard road to hold to get to even just to stand upright in all this wind blowing on you, all this challenge to have. You don't have to give money to be a philanthropic person to love others. In fact, it can be a danger to Jesus if not, then then what is what is Jesus? And and some Christians will say, why why are we wasting time standing here together singing these old hymns that don't make any sense? Well, let's make tables out of these pews and assemble care packages for the homeless in the town. That's what we should do. Well, you see how you have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. A little bit of logic there ought to be plugged in. Hey, wait a minute. I've seen this. I've seen tables put in the sanctuary so you could do stuff rather than sit down and listen. Hey, we're a different crowd from that. Now, Jesus is important as Savior. Whatever happened to that? What happened to the fact that Jesus is Savior and Lord? Oh, my. That's a significant thing. Well, we've had a lot of fun this morning talking about the third chapter. Certainly have. Uh, I have a bottle I want to conclude with a bottle of pills. 
on the text field this morning. Uh, what I want to show you is this has a top on it you can't get off. Doggone thing, I can't get it off half time. Unless you know the secret, it's a child prevention pill case here, pill bottle. If I hit the right button, top comes right off. Isn't that weird? Well, I want to leave you with this thought. The challenging church of now and the future and the past has always been hard to figure out. Man, you go this way and you don't look. You go that way and you got people that just ain't a mean as a bunch of rattlesnakes in a bag. And you can't get in dumb as a bag of hammers. And you're trying to figure out what you can do and you hit the right button. It's Jesus as Savior. The charisma of the gospel, Jesus died on the cross, was raised victorious, will come again as Lord of Lords. And when that happens, boom, top comes right off. Well, there you got it. I hope you enjoyed yourself this morning because you can tell I sure did. <laughs> and I hope to see you again real soon. Praise be to the Lord. Jesus' blessings to you with your goodness and your love and your power. This day and forever. Amen. Amen. E eu vejo de coração aberto para receber o pecador. E eu oro estrela alva brilha em mim, brilha a luz que ilumina o meu Brilha a luz